Heavenly Father, we believe in you and we believe in what you have done. We believe in God our Father. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We ask and we know that you are here with us right now. We lift up this time to you and we ask that as I am here speaking that it is your words that come, that it is you that we can focus on because we know through our belief that you are Lord over all. I thank you, Heavenly Father, and I pray that you be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> please, please be seated. So here's my weekly Maddox picture. Um, so here, here he is. Um, so today we're going to talk about the whole armor of God. We're going to put on the whole armor of God. And last week <clears throat> we looked at, at Ephesians chapter 6. And we really looked at Ephesians uh, 6, 10 through 13. Where Paul is telling the Ephesian church that we need to be strong in the Lord. We need to be strong in his strength and in his might. And when we are strong in the Lord, we can get and draw upon his power. And we need that so that we can put on the armor of God. That is God's armor that we can put that on. And that armor that God has is specifically and wonderfully designed for each and every one of us. <clears throat> but we need his strength and we need his power and we need his might to be able to do that. Why? Because we're, we're not... We're not fighting against flesh and blood, as it tells us. We're not fighting against things of this world. We're fighting against an enemy who brought evil into this darkened world. And Paul tells us we need to stand firm in the evil day. And we can only do that by using the power of Jesus and the armor that God has given us. Are we able to then stand firm? Now, God gives every believer the ability to stand, and it's hard to do, right? Because we have, we have this faith during the spiritual war, warfare that's going on. But we can stand in grace, right? Which is, it tells us in Romans 5, 2. We can stand in the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. We can stand in courage and strength, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We can stand in faith, 2 Corinthians 1, 24. We can stand in Christian liberty, Galatians 5.1. We can stand in, in Christian unity, stand together as a people, Philippians 1.27. We can stand in the Lord, Philippians 4.1. And we can stand perfect and complete in the will of God, Colossians 4.12. Now last week at the end of verse 13, it says in the evil day. And I didn't really get a lot to talk about <clears throat> that. And I want to briefly go over that. Because we are in a fight in the evil day. And what a lot of the theologians will say is that that evil day is really an age. And we're fighting in the age in which the devil, devil is running amok and running crazy. We're fighting him who has waged war against Christ and his followers. That's us, folks. We're in a battle. Because we are living in the evil days, we need to be able to stand strong. We need to stand in the power and in the might of Jesus Christ. We need to be able to take the full armor of God that we can then stand um, confidence against the enemy because we know that God is sovereign over all things. 
This week we're going to look at Ephesians 14 through 20. We're going to look at the, all, the whole armor of God. And we're going to look at what does the armor mean and then at the end, what does that mean to us? Because that's really where it's at, right? My daughter loves recently saying that her baby book says it's all about her, right? And it's not. It's all about God, right? We have a part to play, but it's only through the will of God that we can do that. So here we have uh, 13 or sorry, 10 through 13, it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength and his, of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand firm. Verse 14 says, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, has, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith for which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert in the perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As we look at verse 14, right, put on the belt of truth, right? I want to go back and look because we're told to be strong in verse 10. Do not give up easy. Be strong. Stand. You need to be there to be able to stand for God. We do not give up easily, especially in the face of the enemy. We know that we can stand firm because God is our Father. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit have not left our side. So we are not defenseless. You are not defenseless. We know we can stand firm. We do not give up. We do not give in to fear because we have the power and strength and the might of our Lord. I know I think of this past Wednesday as we celebrated Veterans Day. And my thought is of those men and women who put on uniforms, who have and who are in uniform. Those people who have been deployed into battle, who have been deployed out, you know, those people have to get ready, right? They don't just go out there dressed like me, right, to get ready for battle. They have to be ready. You know, and we as believers have to be the same. We have to be ready, we need to be prepared. Our battles are not by flesh and blood, but they're against the evil one. That means our armament must be different. But in some ways, they're very similar. And Paul shows us that, some similarities. But, no, but they're different. You know, I wanted to, last week, uh, 
I showed a picture of my grandfather. He was in the Coast Guard during World War II. Um, I want to share two different stories uh, of people that I know. One person I met that I know quite well, and the other person I've only known in stories. Uh, both gentlemen served during World War II. One gentleman was in the Army, and he fought in the Battle of the Bulge. So if you don't know where that's at, that's in eastern um, Belgium, northeast France, Luxembourg. And it was fought during December uh, 1944 through January 1945. And it was cold. Very, very, very cold. And the gentleman um, was uh, depicted by people who knew him as very large. Large in personality and large as a human being. Um, and the story goes, and I've never met him because he died when my father was quite young. Probably early, uh, not, maybe not quite 10 or so, right around that age. Uh, but I grew up listening and hearing stories of this gentleman my whole life. And I knew, it felt like I knew him. So here is this guy. He's my grandfather's best friend. Um, and during the Battle of the Bulge, he is out there. He's in the army, right? And it's snowing everywhere. And when the bullets start flying, as the story goes, you would never suspect a man of my stature to be able to get as flat under a tank, Okay. Now, the way that my grandfather and my dad would tell it, this guy is like Andre the Giant size, okay? 7'3", seven, 7'4", seven, like 800 pounds, right? A Goliath of a man, right? To be able to squeeze his body underneath the tank when the bullets started flying because he was not prepared. He did not have the right armament. He did not have the right armor during that time. There's another gentleman that I know that... that um, who was in the Navy during the, in the South Pacific, him and his brothers. And one day, the several naval vessels were put together in a bay. And looking, he saw that his brother's ship was there too. So he, being a signal man, signaled over, and they were able to convince their commanders or captains to be able to let one of them visit the other. So one brother visiting the other brother on his ship and was able to get like 24 hours because they were spending, one was spending the night with the other. Now the interesting thing is overnight there was an attack. And the brother that was on the visiting ship, he knew what he had to do on his own ship. But he's on a completely different ship, completely different vessel, different people he doesn't know. His brother goes to where he needs to be. The other brother, being a guest on this ship, goes to where he would be on his vessel. Even though the vessels are different, the, the, the structure is different, the people are different, he shows up where he would, should be on his own vessel. And I can just imagine the people looking at him like, who are you, right? They don't know who this guy is. Having to explain, I'm visiting, but this is where I would be on my vessel. Now, this guy, even though he did not have armament, he did not have any kind of armor, right? He knew what his responsibility was. He knew what his job was. He only knew because of the training, the practice of doing what needed to be done. And it's very different when I look at these two gentlemen, these two people. One guy doesn't have armor. And even though he was given training, he dives under a tank for protection, Another guy who doesn't have anything to protect himself, no armor, nothing, goes to where he needs to be 
because of the training, because of the trust of the people around him, because of the trust in the training that he was given. We are like those two guys. Either we stand where we need to be with people that we don't know, in a place that we don't know, knowing that the training that we have in God our Father is sufficient. Or do we run and hide? And that is very telling to me. Right? And this week has been hugely impactful on my life. As all I, you know, I am, I'm, as many of you know, right, I'm working, I'm going to school, right? This past two weeks I've been studying a lot, right? But it's, this has been hugely impactful in my life. You know, especially recalling this. God, the Lord Jesus recalled this to my mind. The Holy Spirit told me, reminded me of these stories as I was thinking about this, this week. I want to be strong in the Lord. I want to be able to do what I need to do because of the training that he has given me. We are all called to be strong. And once you are strong... God has something very special for you. And that's what we're going to look at today. So verse 14 says, stand firm, put on the belt of truth. Okay. Now, truth is very interesting, right? Because I have this voice in the back of my head and it really comes from John 18:38. And if you know that, that's where Jesus is talking to Pilate, right? And Pilate famously asked him, what is truth? Which is very entertaining, because we have a lot of people today that are asking the same question. What is truth? And what I would tell you is that people today in, in the country in which we live will tell you that the truth is personal. It's subjective. There is no absolute truth anymore. Because it's okay for me, that's my truth. Because something is different, okay for you, that's your truth. That's what people are telling us. But we see in John 14, 6, he says, Jesus, Jesus talking, he goes, I am the way, or I am the truth, I am the way, and I am the life. No one can go to the Father except through me. Only Jesus is the truth. And only through Jesus can we get to our Father, right? To be able to get to heaven. But why is Paul telling us this needs to be the first thing we put on? Right? Here I have a picture of, and I, I tried very hard to find uh, kind of an authentic Roman belt. And a lot of what I, uh, pictures I have today are um, time period, roughly time period pieces. Right? And um, Paul is telling us to put on this belt, right? And the interesting thing is I'm reading my Bible and other uh, commentaries and things. They call it also a girdle, which I thought was very, I couldn't stop but snickering at that. Um, but it was just a different time in which the writers I was reading was writing. And so they have this belt. But why, does he, why is it the first thing that is told to put on? Well, the Roman times, they put on the belt first. And that went over your underclothes, okay? That went over the clothes that you normally wear in your leisure time. And what it did is it told the, 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 the soldier, the person wearing it, that their mindset needed to change from barbecuing to war, Right? is basically what it was. From having fun to be able to relax to a time to where I need to be able to prepare myself mentally to do what needs to be done, to do what I've been trained to do. 
And that was famous for the, the Roman army is that they were trained as exceptionally well. Well, So this belt was put on to be able to make sure that everything underneath was connected together. Right? And we need that same thing. We need to be able to have the belt of truth, God's truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. We need that to be able to connect everything that we have underneath so it doesn't go away. We need that today. How many churches have said that the church cannot move forward unless we look at this book not as the word of God, but as something else? The truth of God needs to change so the church can move forward. That is not what the book says at all. Jesus says, I am the truth, period. Right? I am the truth. It's crazy because truth is fundamental to what we believe. And so when Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? Because Jesus doesn't even answer, Pilate just leaves. He goes, what is truth? And, and Pilate leaves. But we see in John 17, 17, right before that, Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. He's speaking, God, your word is truth. And Jesus is saying this in what is commonly referred to in your Bibles as a high priestly prayer. And Jesus is saying that through our Christian journey, sanctifying the sanctification is one of truth. We can't do it without the truth of God. We can't do it without the truth that Jesus has given us. And we can't do it because God is the word, right? The word is God. And God is truth. The word is that truth. We can't do it alone. We need that truth to be able to keep everything underneath together. We need to put on that truth. Just like we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate here will extend from the neck all the way down to the belt. And it covers the front, the back, the shoulders. Right? Now for those of you who have read Pilgrim's Progress... Right, John Bunyan says that um, when Christian receives the, the breastplate, it's only for the front, so he doesn't turn his back on the enemy. Right? But we have a God that protects us all. Right? And we have a breastplate that will protect all that we have. And as we put on the belt, right, we also need to put on the, breast, uh, the breastplate of righteousness. This is an action that we need to be able to do. Now, this, this breastplate is in terms of human uh, anatomy, right? It protects our heart. It protects our lungs. It protects our, all of our vital organs, right? And it, I think it's, it's awesome to be able to see that because God is in our heart. We need to be able to protect that. We need to be able to protect that God has breathed life into our lungs, right? We see that in Genesis 2, 7. All scripture says that, um, it says that all scripture is breathed by the word of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The word of God is good for teaching and, and training in righteousness. And that's in 2 Timothy 3.16. By having the word of God in our hearts and in our lungs, we will receive the righteousness of God. 
Now Romans 3, 22 and 25 says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. All who believe. Or for all who believe. In 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation of his blood to be received by faith was to show God's righteousness. We're able to receive God's righteousness through Jesus Christ. The Lord is our righteousness, Jeremiah 23, 6. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 30. Only through Christ can we receive the righteousness from God. We put that on. We put on that breastplate that we have received from God because of his righteousness. And when, the righteous, when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we do not have to fear anymore. We do not have to be discouraged anymore because we know God is with us and he will strengthen us and he will uphold his righteousness of his right hand. Isaiah 41.10. Now, the most, one of the most entertaining things I read was from um, Dr. Lloyd-Jones. Right? He was a uh, pastor in uh, England, and he says, Thank God for our experiences, but do not rely on them. You do not put on the breastplate of your own experiences. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. How many times have we been told that it's based on how we feel, what we do that we need to rely upon? No, it's based on the righteousness of God Almighty. In Isaiah 59, 17, we're told that even the Savior would be putting on the breastplate of righteousness. As we believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, we will be able to receive from God and put on the breastplate of his righteousness. We can only do this if we are strong. We can only do this if we are uh, have his truth around us. We can only do this if we have that faith in Christ and Jesus in, in our Lord and Savior, or God Father, sorry. Um, I shouldn't have had those two cups of coffee, okay? <laughs> I'm just amped up this morning, right? Had some coffee and discussions and now my heart's racing a mile an hour and I'm just ready to go and I can't get the words out, so I'm so excited, right? Which means in about five minutes I'll be crashing, so, uh, so I'll need somebody to poke me with a stick. But you know, the, the cool thing is, is that God loves us and God is sovereign. And because of that, we can stand firm and we can have his strength. And as we put on his belt of truth, as we put on his righteousness, we will also need to put shoes on our feet, right? Now, I love this picture when I saw it because I had a different picture. It was really cool. This is not a period piece picture, just so you know, okay? Um, but I kept thinking as I was thinking about this where he says, you know, we need to put on the shoes that we need for the readiness given by the gospel of peace, right? And all I could think of was what's faster than a toddler when you say what's in your mouth, right? They're gone. It doesn't matter. They're laying on the floor. They're up and gone, right? And so that's all I could think of. So that's where this, this came from, right? I guess I'm just preparing myself for in about two years or so, right, of, what, of that. But we are told to have put on the shoes so that we have the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We need reliable shoes. We need to be, have shoes on our feet that are, that are good, that are reliable, right? Now, if you are in an army, you may have the best armor around, but if you get hurt in the foot, you can't move and you're done. The enemy will take you. 
You need to have shoes that are reliable, shoes that are good. We need to be able to do that, right? Now, for the Romans, they would have a shoe, and some of them would have shoes that would go up from the foot all the way up to the knee, right? Kind of like a big shin guard. Um, but shoes are, are forever, are very important, especially during that time because the roads were dirt. We didn't have the roads that we have today, right? There were some cobbles, some things like that, but most of the time it was dirt. Um, and we see that because when Jesus sent out the 12 disciples in Mark 6, 9, he says, be sure that you have shoes on your feet, right? That was important for them. Or when Peter was in jail in Acts, was it 12, 8, that they told the spirit, the uh, angel told him that make sure you have shoes on when he left jail. With our shoes on, we need to be ready. We need to be nimble because anything that the Lord has for us, we need to be ready. We cannot have our feet stuck in the mud or in cement blocks. We cannot, you know, not be able to move. And so many times it feels like our feet are like that. I just can't move. Or that's the way the perception of us to God is. God says, go. And you go, but only if, when. It's, he's looking at us with something on our feet. We're stuck in the mud. We have cement blocks. But if we do that, if we have nimble feet, if we have shoes on and we're ready, then we'll be ready for every situation to preach the gospel of peace. Now, are you ready to preach the gospel to people? Do you have your shoes on? Are they nimble? Do you have the truth in your heart? Do you have God's righteousness put on? Have you been in prayer to be able to hear what message God has for the right person? How many times have you been out shopping or been out or with family or friends and you hear some kind of small voice that says, you should talk to this person about me, about God, and you don't do it? We need to be ready because that's the Spirit talking to us. Because the gospel of peace is a, is a message that is sweet and lovely. It's a message of love and forgiveness. The scripture tells us that we need to have our shoes on to be ready for the gospel. And we cannot share the gospel unless we are sent. God sends us out. We know that in Matthew, right? Matthew 28, he says, go. It's a one of action. Romans 10, 15 also tells us that. We're also told that once we receive the gospel into our hearts, it's a beautiful message that we hear. And that's in Isaiah 52, 7 and Nahum 1, 15. As we go to preach a gospel of peace, we come across the enemy. Wherever we go, we come across the enemy because he doesn't want us to preach that. He is scared of that message. So he gives us the shield of faith. I have three different shields up. And going from left to right is really the, the order of which uh, they came about. And in Paul's time, the, he would have seen all three of these shields. So the one on your left, my right, would have been the very first shield. It's very cylindrical in nature. The one in the middle is, is next. That one is used to about the third century AD. The first two about the third century AD. And that one's more rectangulish, right? And the one on your far right, my far left, is round. And it would have been a big, round, large, round one. And that was used after that. Very large shields. 
And it's interesting because the word that Paul uses to, to describe these shields is thuros, which is very similar to the Greek word for door, thura. And that's because these shields were very large, like a door. Very large shields. And, and as I was reading and thinking about it, all I could think of was upper body strength, of lugging these things around all the time. Right? Because the shield would have been huge. And it would have been heavy because there's metal on it. There's, it's made out of wood. Right? Because the metal would have been so expensive to have a whole shield. And it would have been extremely heavy at that time. But, it, but Paul says that we want to use the shield to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy. Now, during the time of Paul and even later, right, into the Middle Ages, we know and Hollywood loves to show us these things of arrows with fire flying, you know, through the night is really cool, right? Through the night and landing on shields, right? And this would have been devastating to any soldier that had a wooden shield because it would have hit, the shield would have caught fire. So they needed to figure something out. So what did they do? They had this wood shield, they wrapped it in leather because what they found is that once the uh, enemy had tar or had uh, some kind of agent on their uh, sap or something to be able to light and send, once it hit the leather, the leather would extinguish the fire and not damage the soldier. And that was incredibly impressive to me that that would happen that that's what uh, Paul is referring to. But then I started thinking about these flaming darts. The enemy would send flaming darts, right? And it's scary, right? Because the darts are ones that is of temptation. And then temptation is indeed fiery. Temptation is indeed troublesome. And for a lot of us, once you get a, just a little bit of that temptation in you, then the whole arrow can seep in. And that is very difficult. But we know that God is our shield. He gives us that shield of faith. God tells Abram, he goes, you know what, don't worry about it because I am your shield in Genesis 15.1. In Psalm 59, David is crying out to God seeking protection. And he declares in verse 11 that he goes, Lord, you are our shield. God is our shield because we have faith in him, because he is sovereign over all things. And also in Psalm 84, we see that David is rejoicing God because of he is the shield that protected them, verses eight and nine. And you know, and there are many, many more examples of David reaching out, praising God for requesting God to be his shield, praising God for being his shield. But in all, in all, it is faith. It is a faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ who protects us. It is essential that we cling to God, our father, and to Jesus, his son, through our faith. Because without faith, we cannot get close to God. It's impossible. We need to be able to get close to God so we can have his blessings, so we can get his armor. Everything that he has for us, Hebrews eleven six. 6. 
It is our faith in God, as I said before, in Jesus that we can distinguish the flaming darts of the enemy. Now, I have this thought as I was looking at the shields, as I was looking at, thinking about how heavy they are. The shield of faith may seem heavy for people. It may seem heavy for people to be able to carry. Faith is hard. As we go out, as we stand, we can stand in the strength of Jesus in his might. We have the power that Jesus has given us to hold the shield of faith for as long as necessary. He gives us that strength because we have his power and might. We are told to put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the shoes that are ready for the gospel of peace. To take the shield of faith and to take the helmet of salvation. You know, as I was preparing, and I'm looking at all these different helmets uh, when I was looking for uh, Roman helmets. And um, I had this, this picture that came to me because it says, take the helmet of salvation. And I have this picture of God holding out his hand with his helmet, saying, take, this is for you. You need this. You know, we put on the whole armor of God. But instead of putting on the helmet, we are asked to take it. This is for you. Oh, Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. That's Psalm 147. How beautiful is it that God holds out the helmet of salvation for us to take. That helmet is out for us to take. It protects our head, our neck, and our face. And for a lot of people, we need to protect our head and our mind so that we can have confidence that we have the assurance of salvation and that was given to us. All we have to do is take it. The hand is outstretched. All we have to do is take it. As we take the helmet of God, we accept what God is giving us. As it was something special, specially made, specially prepared. It's a special gift for all of us. It's amazing the assurance that we have in the gift of salvation. And it's one that is already ours. We are now saved and kept by the power of God. Our salvation is ours. It's our sure protection which we wear so prominently on our head. All we have to do is reach out and take it. For the enemy who uses an effective weapon of discouragement when we properly wear the equipment, the whole armor of God with the helmet of salvation it's hard for any believer to remain discouraged for long. It doesn't matter 
It doesn't matter unless you take that wonderful gift of salvation. He has it out open, his hands, his arms open, ready for you to take it. Are you ready to do that today? Now here, in this next one, a lot of people like to talk about, but it's, it's probably the, one of the coolest things. Uh, for me, it was the helmet of salvation. But we're going to briefly talk about the sword of the spirit. And it's interesting because the sword of the spirit is the only offensive weapon that is told to us. The only offensive weapon. And that is really cool, right? And as I said last week, it's not like the Braveheart sword, right? And it's not like seven feet tall, right? Hard to wield, right? You need super strength to do it, right? But it, it's, it's short combat, ready for intimate hand-to-hand fighting. Last week, I, I said that we were going to talk about the whole armor of God, meaning that it's God's armor made for us, the armor of God. Today, we're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit. It is the Spirit's sword. The Spirit helps us to wield the sword, now, man makes swords too. And the swords that man make are pretty nice to look at. They're very pretty to look at. But man's rhetoric, man's logic, man's philosophies, man's finely spun theories, man's human argument, they're all shiny and nice but they do nothing against the enemy that we have. They are not able to hurt, to go against the unseen enemy of the devil. And they have zero ability to bring people into God's kingdom. It can only be the spirit of God as the sin of man must be slain. It must be killed then and only then can the sinner truly be made alive in Christ. Sin must die. And the only way to do that is with the sword of the Spirit. This is because the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into divisions of the soul, into the spirit of the joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's Hebrews 4.12. The spirit of the sword cuts us deep, as it were. And it's interesting to me that when Revelation, when John had this vision that God gave him, right? In 116, he says, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword out of the Son of Man. But like anyone who has had to do anything in our lives comes practice whether it's in sports, whether it's in school, whether it's just in life. We need a lot of practice. And we have a lot of opportunity to practice the sword of the spirit. You know, Maddox is four months old, right? My other kids are 16 and 19, which is very entertaining, right? But it's interesting to see how each and every one of, how each of them does things differently and what they're practicing. You know, Maddox being four months old, he can't do much of anything, right? He can play, he can giggle, right? He's starting to get the connection between head and hands. Like, I want to grab this, 
right, to, to work on that. And that's cool. He needs that practice, right? Annika and Elise are looking at practice in different lights, right? They're looking at it in terms of life. What does the practice of relationship mean or communication, right? Good relationships versus bad relationships. What does that look like? Right? All of those things take practice, right? I'm a big sports fan. Anybody who plays sports is, it needs a lot of practice, right? Two of the movies that I love to watch, right? One is a terrible, terrible movie. I mean, not, it's a, um, like a B movie. Uh, it, it's called Mom and Dad Save the Earth. Um, and so it's, it's just, a, it's, it's terrible, terrible everything. But I love watching it. It's just hilarious, right? And there's a scene where these two guys who, who are trying to act mar, ma, big and macho, and they grab swords and they try to go at it, but they're like uh, two-year-olds with swords just swinging them about. They have no concept of what that means. But on the other side, you have The Princess Bride, another excellent movie, right? Where the man in black is, is fighting the Spaniard Inigo Montoya, right? And afterwards they go, they are both masters, which means that they spent a lot of time in training. We need that training for the sword of the spirit. It's not something that we can just go out and say, hey, we're a master of this. And just basically, you know, wield it around, throwing things out at people. It doesn't work that way. If we have faith in God, we have the shield of faith, we have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, we are then able to lean upon the spirit because it's a spirit sword and lean upon the spirit to help us in practice, to help us practice because we can't do it on our own. We need the spirit to help us. And we can only do that because we know that God is sovereign. He loves us. He keeps us. He believes in us. He protects us. And he helps us in defeating the enemy. And we can't do it on our own because we need him. Now, there's a pastor in uh, Santa Barbara that I like reading some of his commentaries and things because he's very good and entertaining. Um, And he says this about the spirit of the Lord. He says that the spirit provides a sword for each of us. That is the word of God. He goes, the Bible is not a book of magic for us to use when the sword is a tool that God has intended that we can then use because we regard as believers the Bible as the word of God because it is the word of God. The sword of the spirit is a tool for us to use like a scalpel to a surgeon. It's a finely honed tool that we can use, but it takes practice for us to wield it. We need that tool against the enemy. We cannot wield it based on our own understanding. We hurt ourselves and we hurt others. We need to listen and to understand from the spirit what the sword should be used for. And when we hear or talk about the whole armor of God, a lot of people will focus on the sword of the spirit because that's cool. There's a lot of other things that go in before we can then take that sword and use it for the tool that God has intended. And there's a lot, there's more that comes after that. 
The full armor, whole armor of God doesn't start or stop with the sword or the belt of truth or the breastplate or the shoes or the shield. Because Paul says that we need to pray at all times. We need to be ready. That's praying all the time. Even after we get all of these gifts that God has given us, we still need to pray all the time. All the time. It's hard because as men, as women, as as sinful people living on this world, the enemy will come after us. And we think and we are told that we can do all things within ourselves. All it takes is us. And we know that through the Bible that's not true. We need to be strong in the Lord and in his strength and might. We need to be able to stand firm and fight the battles, the schemes of the devil. We need to be able to uh, go against the rulers and the authorities, of, against the cosmic powers, against the present darkness and spiritual forces in heavenly places. We need to be able to stand firm in the evil day. And you know what? Granted, as believers, it feels like once we leave this building, we're fighting against flesh and blood, but that's not who we're fighting against. We're fighting against who's against the flesh and blood. We're not fighting our rulers and those people of authority as soon as we walk out this door. We're fighting against the person, the, the, the devil who is behind putting those people in their thoughts. Who is behind it all? It's the devil. We cannot use the weapons of man to defeat or fight the devil. We need supernatural weapons. Only weapons and armor that God has given us. And only the truth of Jesus Christ. Only God's armor. No other armor will work. Since time began, men has been trying to use their own armor. And it doesn't work. Paul tells us about the armor. He tells us that we need to pray at all times. But like I said last week, what happens next? What's next for us as believers? If we pray at all times, as Paul has said, we will know what happens next. We will know what to do next. Now, how many of you, and I'm not looking for arms or answers or anything, but can say that you pray at all times? All times, in capital, A-L-L, all. I can't say that. I would like to. I really would, but I can't. But just not pray at all times. He tells us that we need to pray in the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord. Prayer is essential to us. And we live in a time in which we are being told what is essential and what's not being essential. Prayer is essential. We need to pray, and we're told to pray with all supplication. We need to pray and keep alert, not only for ourselves, but for our family, for our family of believers. We need to pray for uh, perseverance of all those who believe, of all the saints. I cannot stress enough the importance of prayer. I cannot stress enough. Prayer is hard. 
And I know it can be hard. It takes practice. You know, a lot of times I view prayer as like communication, right? Now, Kristen and I have been married for 21 years, which is amazing, right? It's totally phenomenal. Um, and I think of it as, as our communication now is better than it was when we first were married or when we were dating, right? It's been a long road. It's been hard. And what I would tell you is it's still hard, right? Communication is not easy, but you have to keep at it. You have to keep doing. You have to work at it. And that's what we need to do with prayer. We need and all can do better. We have to have, we need to have the same focus in our prayer life as we do with other aspects of our life. We need to be able to work at it. And I know many of you do, but we all can do better. I can tell you from personal experience that I am a sinner. This morning, yesterday, day before yesterday, day before yesterday, yesterday, right? I am a sinner. Hi, my name is Joe and I am a sinner, right? And it's crazy to think that, you know what, I am completely messed up. There's no, you know, I am messed up. And the church is full of people like that. And it goes back to when Jesus walked with us. And it goes back before that, right? And I keep thinking of, you know, what does that mean? And I have this vision, right? And I hear uh, in, the, in this movie, I hear Michael Caine as playing Alfred in a Batman movie saying, why do we fall? Right? He's holding Bruce Wayne. He goes, Master Wayne, why do we fall? And the, what I would tell you is that the answer is not just to pick ourselves up, which is what the movie would tell you. The movie says that we need to rely on ourselves to pick ourselves up. We fall so that we know that we have the power and strength in Jesus Christ. That we know that it is because of him that helps us up. That it is him that be able to, allows us to do better, to get better, to get stronger, to do what we need to do in life, to do what we need to do for him. That we can feel his strength and his power helping us. But we can't do that without prayer. We can't do that without him. Now, I want to finish today with a little bit with how Paul finishes. He says, I am an ambassador. He says, I am an ambassador in chains. Here's definitions of an ambassador. It says, a diplomat agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government of, or sovereign in the resident representative of his or her own government or sovereign or appointed for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. Or just simply an authorized representative or messenger. Paul says, I am an ambassador. That means that he is not of this country. He is not here living. He's here on behalf of somebody else of another government, another ruling group. And we know as believers what that is. That's the kingdom of heaven. I am an ambassador. Now, it's interesting because as an ambassador, right, we think of an ambassador, we have a, this mental picture, right, of an ambassador. 
Somebody who's living in another country. Somebody who's what's representing another country, right? They have these rights and, and things that they have. Where they live is not on the soil of the country in which it is at. It's his own country soil. That's where our home needs to be, on the soil of the kingdom of God. Right? That's in our hearts. That's in our minds. That's with our families. That's our homes. Is not of this kingdom. I love this picture as Paul nears the end of Ephesians. Because just like Paul, we too, all believers in Jesus, are people who are citizens of another country. We are all ambassadors in another land. And if you've ever visited another place, whether it's another country, whether it's another state, right? You always tend to pick out, or even here when you walk out, you go to Seattle or down on the waterfront, you can always see who the tourists are, right? And there's usually two kinds of tourists. One who is more respectful and the other one who is a punk, right? And when you travel abroad, right, um, there's always those people that were like, oh, you're an American, you're a punk, right? And there's that, that mental stigma We need to be an ambassador for Christ. We need to show people who Christ is through our love. We don't need to be punks about it. We don't need to be aggressive about it. But we allow God the opportunity to work within us. God's timing is perfect, and we know that. And if God works through us, we allow God to work through us, his believers will not be considered punks or aggressive. Because it is the will of God. You know, as, um, as, I, as I was preparing for this sermon, two things really, really stung out, uh, uh, stuck out to me. One was the, the vision, the, the thought, the mental picture I have of God holding the helmet of salvation giving it freely. Here, take, it's for you. That was extremely moving to see that. An actual picture of what that was like. The other one is, is to be like Paul. I want to strive to be an ambassador for Christ while I'm here. I want others to know that I am of his kingdom to let him work through me, that I am working on his behalf. I don't want to be looked at or viewed as a punk while I'm here, somebody who's the complete opposite of, a, of what our mental picture is of an ambassador. I want to be an ambassador for him. I don't want to be of this world. I want to be of his kingdom. And one day, I will. I'll see him. I'll see my king, and that'll be amazing. This week's application is fairly straightforward. Meditate if you have the full armor of God. It doesn't matter if you have one piece or another piece. It doesn't make any difference. You need the entire thing, the whole armor of God. 
And if you don't, ask God what you must do to get it. What must I do to have your full armor of God? What am I missing? What do I need to work on? What do I need to strive towards? We need to be able to have that if we are able to do anything. Paul says that in, as we prayer, we need prayer for all at all times, that we need to be lifting each other up in prayer. That as believers, we need to be praying for ourselves and those around us. Those other believers pray for the saints. And we need to pray for them to be able to put on the whole armor of God. I want you to bow your heads and pray with me now. Heavenly Father, Since the beginning of time, you knew us. You created us. You loved us. You gave us life. We thank you for the word that you have given us. It's changed my heart this week. I want to be strong for you. And I want your believers both here and abroad to be strong for you, to feel your strength and power. Let your people feel your strength and your power. Allow your people to wear the full armor that you have given us, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, that our shoes be ready to preach the gospel of peace that we have the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. That it is because of Christ and Christ alone that we are able to have that. I pray, Lord God, that we hear your voice, the voice of the Spirit, when we are in our quiet times, and when we are in noisy times, and when we are out uh, speaking and out talking, and when we encounter the enemy, that we hear your voice in the Spirit. I pray for all those, those who are here and those who are abroad, and I pray that you give them strength, and not just any strength, but your strength. I thank you, Heavenly Father, in all things. In the name of Jesus, your Son, amen. Please uh, stand as we finish with us.